had three problems. Problem number one is that Scrooge did not know that he was in trouble. Unbeknownst to Ebenezer Scrooge, he had been forging these invisible chains. He was bound by them due to his callousness, due to his greed, due to his lack of love and generosity to fellow humanity. He was bound by chains that he could not see. He needed somebody to tell him the truth. Scrooge also, it would not be enough to merely learn that he had chains. He needed a way to rid him of them. He needed some way to release himself from the chains that bound him. So he needed someone to rescue him. And finally, even if Scrooge could be rescued from the invisible chains that bound him, what would keep him from eventually forging the chains all over again? He needed a new sort of way to live. He needed someone to rule him so that he would not fall down that exact same path again and fall once again into the bondage that threatened his eternal soul. In many ways, Ebenezer Scrooge's problems mirror our own. Every single one of us was born bound by invisible chains. Not primarily because of our greed or callousness towards each other, but primarily because of our rebellion against a holy God. And yet none of us are born aware of our problem. So we need somebody to tell us the truth. None of us are able to free ourselves from our predicament. So we need someone to rescue us from the mess that we've created. God in his kindness sends prophets to us to tell us the truth and priests to us to rescue us from the mess that we create. And then we need someone to rule over us so that we don't dive right back into the same mess all over again. And so God in his kindness sends kings. Those three types of leaders all over the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings. These are the men that stood between God's people and God. They were representatives. If you were paying attention to the passage that Mike read just a moment ago, there's this part in uh, verse, uh, verse 17, says they are verses 16 and 17, say that, that they did not want God to speak to them. They did not want to see this great fire anymore, lest they die. They needed someone to stand between them and God. He was too much, too holy, too glorious. They needed a mediator. And throughout the Old Testament, God sends three types of mediators. Prophets who told God's people the truth. Priests who sacrificed for God's people to deal with a mess of sin that they had created. And kings to rule over them. If you read the Old Testament, you know that these offices really never mixed. If you were a king, you couldn't be a priest, for example. Until... Jesus Christ came, and one person, Jesus Christ, is prophet, priest, and king. This Christmas season, I want us to see that Jesus is the ultimate prophet who speaks God's word to his people. He is the ultimate priest who sacrifices for the sin of God's people, and he is the ultimate king who rules and reigns over his people. 
And today we'll begin by looking at how Jesus is the ultimate prophet. If your Bible's not already open, open it up to Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. Now, in the Old Testament scriptures, there is no greater prophet than Moses. He is this prophet who, who communicates with God face to face. And yet, there is this dark cloud hanging over the final book that Mo Moses wrote in the Old Testament. The book of Deuteronomy, the dark cloud hanging over the entire book is that Moses, this great prophet, is about to die. If you know the story of Moses, you know that in the fourth book that he wrote, Moses disobeyed God. God told him to speak to a rock and water would flow, but Moses, in his anger, took his staff and smacked it up against that rock. God still fed his people, but God told Moses, you will not enter the promised land because you have disobeyed and you will die. And in the book of Deuteronomy, in the book of De Deuteronomy, Moses is giving his final prophecies to God's people. I'm just going to keep getting louder than the rain. How's that sound? Moses speaks his final prophecies. The, this is the, the final retelling of the law of God before Moses is to die. And in these final words, he promises God's people, I'm not going to be the last prophet. There's going to be another prophet who's coming. Listen to our key verse, Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Here's the big idea I want to communicate with God's help this morning. Jesus is the ultimate prophet who speaks God's word to God's people. In order to convince you of that, we need to answer three basic questions this morning. What do prophets do? How is Jesus the ultimate prophet? And what difference should this make? Let's just dive right in. Question number one, what do prophets do? Most of us hear the term prophet, and we instinctively think of somebody who tells the future, right? So we tend to think. You think of a prophet as somebody who tells the future, and that is certainly part of what prophets did. But a prophet was much more than that. A prophet was somebody who tells God's people the word of God. That's the clear message of verse 19. God says, Whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Here's what God's saying. When you listen to my prophets, whose word are you listening to? You're listening to my word. And you better listen carefully because a refusal to listen to the prophets is a refusal to listen to me, God says. But it's not just the hearers of the prophets who need to be careful. The prophets themselves need to be careful. Look at verse 20. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. The prophets, just like preachers today, do not have authority to say whatever they want to say. The job of the prophet was to say what God told him to say, to speak God's word to God's people. So you might be wondering, well, why do I need that? Why do I need someone to speak God's word to me? Why do I need a prophet? Stephen Wellham says, we need a prophet to speak God's word to us because 
We are finite and fallen. We are finite and fallen. Because we are finite creatures, we do not know everything. Somebody has to speak to us. You think back even to Adam and Eve in the garden before sin. How do they know what fruit they were allowed to eat? God told them. God spoke to them. Even in a world without sin, our first parents, Adam and Eve, needed someone to speak truth to them. Why? Because they're finite. They don't know everything, and neither, dear brother or sister, do you. Because of our finitude, we need somebody with ultimate knowledge, with perfect knowledge, to speak to us. And God does that through prophets. But we also need prophets because we are fallen creatures. Our knowledge is corrupted. We do not instinctively know who God is. If you study cultures all across the world, every culture, it seems, and everywhere on the planet, the indigenous people have some sort of religion, some sort of God, and yet none of them stumble upon the right one unless someone tells them. We do not know who God is unless he shows himself to us. We, we don't know who we are unless God tells us. One of the reasons why I think there's so much confusion in our world today about who we are. What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be a human? We don't know those things apart from God revealing the truth to us. We need prophets to speak the word of God to us. We do not instinctively know how to be made right with God. Anybody in this room who knows how to be made right with God, you only know it because somebody told you. None of you were born knowing the gospel. Somebody told you. You can look at a blade of grass this afternoon, and you can learn a lot of things from a blade of grass. You can learn a lot of things about God. You can look at a blade of grass, and you can notice God is a creator, and his creation is orderly, and, and he is powerful, and his creation is beautiful. But you cannot look at a, at a blade of grass and summarize from that that God loves the world so much, he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross and rise from the dead in your place. You can't learn that from a blade of grass. How do you learn that? God speaks to his people. He tells us through prophets. Because you and I are fallen... Someone has to keep teaching us these things because we continually are tempted to exchange the truth of God for a lie. Why do we need prophets? Because we are finite, because we are fallen. And what do prophets do? They tell people the word of God. Well, question number two then is, how is Jesus the ultimate prophet? Listen again to the words of Moses in verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So how do we know that Jesus is the prophet foretold by Moses? Well, we know that from the Gospels, many people believe that Jesus was a prophet. Uh, for example, after raising a widow's son from the dead, the crowd says in Luke 7, 16, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. 
We know that Jesus sometimes referred to himself as a prophet. You remember Jesus said, a, no one is without, a prophet is not without honor except where? In his own hometown. We, we know that Jesus' miracles often are intended to remind us of the two greatest prophets, Moses and Elijah. For example, Elijah prayed that it would stop raining. Some of you maybe were just doing that a moment ago. And it happened. It stopped raining. Jesus spoke to the rain and it obeyed. Elijah raised a, de- a, a widow's dead son from the dead. Jesus did the same thing. Elijah multiplied oil and flour to feed a hungry family. Jesus multiplied bread and fishes to feed a hungry multitude. Moses miraculously rescued God's people from bondage to Pharaoh. Jesus miraculously rescues God's people from bondage to sin and slavery and and, and Satan and death. Moses went up a mountain and his face shone after receiving the law of God. Jesus' face shines on another mountain with his disciples. It's in that story in Mark chapter 9 where we most clearly see that Jesus is the ultimate prophet. If you have uh, your Bible open, you might want to turn to Mark chapter 9. We're going to get started in verse 2. It'll also be on the screen if that's helpful for you. Mark chapter 9, verse 2. The Bible says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. That's one of those words the Bible uses, but what does it mean to be transfigured? Verse 3 tells us, and his clothes, Jesus' clothes became radiant, intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. Even though Jesus was the eternal son of God, he looked like an ordinary guy. You wouldn't be able to pick Jesus out of a lineup. He didn't have a halo on his head. He didn't have a glow about him. He looked like an ordinary man. But in this moment on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, he shows them a glimpse of his glory. He's transfigured. He looks different. They see him more truly as he is. The Bible tells us alongside him appeared the two greatest prophets in Israel's history. Look at verse 4. And they appeared to them, Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Peter is witnessing one of the most remarkable scenes in human history. There on this mountain, Jesus is glowing. And on either side is Moses and Elijah. And Peter is terrified out of his wits. He has no idea what he should say, but he knows somebody better say something. Sometimes it's better just to not say anything. Peter says something. That's kind of Peter's nature. We've seen that all throughout the gospel of Matthew. So Peter says, let's make three tents. That seems kind of like a nice thing to do, right? There's probably direct sunlight on the top of this mountain. Moses, Elijah, Jesus, three greatest prophets in human history. But one commentator says, we can tell that Peter still doesn't get it because 
his offer was to make three tents instead of one throne. Peter looks at Jesus and Moses and Elijah almost like equals. Instead of seeing that these two guys on Jesus' right or left are pointing to him. God the Father in his kindness does not give up on Peter. He could say, I'm done with you, that's it, I'm sick of it. But he speaks to Peter. Notice what happens. And here we get our clearest analogy to Deuteronomy 18, verses 7 and 8. A cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen, listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they saw no longer, saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Remember the, the phrase that was used back in Deuteronomy 18, 15? There Moses said, to him, to this prophet, you shall listen. Here the father says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And then Moses and Elijah disappear, and the point is clear, Jesus stands alone. He is not merely one of the other prophets. He is greater than all the other prophets put together. He's the ultimate prophet. He's the one that Moses prophesied about. Maybe you wonder, how is Jesus better than all the other prophets? Let me suggest three reasons. Jesus speaks more clearly than any of the other prophets. The Old Testament prophets, and if you, if you read them, and you should, you'll often find yourselves feeling a bit confused. A lot of it's confusing. It's true. It's sufficient. It's necessary, it's good, it's the word of God, but some of what the prophets say is confusing. But Jesus comes along and Jesus brings clarity. Um, imagine like this, imagine that you purchase an old home with big, massive drapes covering all the windows, and you enter the home for the first time, and it's fully furnished. It's got all this old, dusty, antique furniture. It's there. You stumble across some of it, walking through the room, and then you decide to open the drapes. All of a sudden, you can see what's in the room. Nothing has changed about the room. Just you can now see it more clearly. The furniture is exactly where it was, but now you can see it. When Jesus comes along, it's almost like the curtains are being pulled back. And everything that was always true about God, now we can just see it a little more clearly. Everything that was always true about sin, about grace, about redemption, about prophets, priests, and kings, and their purpose, all of it, none of it changed. But now, in Jesus, we can see it more clearly. Jesus speaks more clearly than any other prophet. How is that possible? Because the other prophets told people about God, but Jesus is God. So he speaks with clarity. Jesus also speaks with authority. The Old Testament prophets repeatedly said, thus says the Lord. Jesus never talked like that. As we walk through Matthew's gospel, Jesus never says, thus says the Lord. You know what Jesus says? I say unto you. Sometimes he'll even say, you have heard it said, such and such, but I say to you this. Why? Because Jesus, Jesus teaches with authority. The other prophets spoke the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. So 
when Jesus speaks to us through his word, he isn't merely giving us abstract truth. He's giving us himself. What a glorious gift that is. And Jesus is better than all the other prophets put together because he speaks with clarity, because he speaks with authority in a greater degree than the other prophets. And finally, because Jesus is the subject of all the other prophets. In other words, they were talking about him. They're like the signs pointing to Disneyland. He's Disneyland, right? Jesus, after he rose from the dead, in Luke 24, the Bible tells us that he appears to a couple of his disciples on the road to Emmaus, not Emmaus, on the road to Emmaus. And on that road, he's talking with these people, and the Bible tells us that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What what is the Bible saying there? Jesus is the ultimate prophet because he's the one that all the other prophets were pointing to. If you want to understand Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Habakkuk and Haggai, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. All of them were pointing to him. There's so much more we could say about how Jesus is the ultimate prophet who speaks God's word to God's people, but we need to answer one final question. What difference should any of this make? What difference should it make? Let me suggest two practical implications of Jesus' prophetic office. If Jesus is the ultimate prophet, first, we should listen to the word of Jesus. That's the clear command, isn't it, from Deuteronomy 18, 15? It is to him you shall listen. But what does that mean? What does it mean to listen to the word of Jesus? If you're here and you're not a Christian, the very first thing you need to do is repent and believe the gospel. You cannot even begin to listen and obey the rest of Jesus' teaching until you start there. Until you start there with understanding the truth that God is a righteous and holy creator. He created this world and everything in it. Man, including you, dear friend, we've sinned against God. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. As a result, you you deserve eternal separation from God. But Jesus came into this world, lived a life without sin, died a sinner's death on the cross, and then rose from the dead. You need to believe all those things and commit your life to Jesus, to turn from your sins and trust in Jesus. That's the very first step of what it means to listen to the word of Jesus. Until you've done that, you cannot do anything. Now, once you have become a Christian, that's most of us in this room, you are now empowered by the Holy Spirit so that you can follow the word of Jesus. So let me ask you, brothers and sisters, those of you that are followers of Jesus, are you following Jesus' word? Have you followed Jesus' word about baptism? Have you followed Jesus' word in your commitment to the local church? Are you following Jesus' word in how you think and relate to the opposite sex? Are you following Jesus' word in what you do with your money? Are you following Jesus' word in how you treat your spouse or your kids? Let me ask you, dear brothers and sisters, where in your life 
Are you ignoring the word of Jesus? I wonder if there might be some in this room that would say, you know, it would be so much easier if I could just hear Jesus speak to me right now. If I could just hear his voice, how much easier would it be for me to actually follow him and obey? I want to say to you, if that's you, if you're tempted to think that way, you can hear Jesus' voice, just not in the way that you might think. A theologian named Joel Beakey says this. I think it's important for us to get this. He says, there is one mediator who performs his incarnate work in two states according to his threefold office. Okay, what does that mean? The one mediator is Jesus the Bible says there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. He's the stand between. He's the one that stands between us and God. He, he does his work in a threefold office. That's prophet, priest, and king. Uh, just like a man can be a husband, a father, and an employee, Jesus functions as a prophet, a priest, and king. What is this idea about two states? He performs his work in two states. What does that mean? Don't think like the United States of America. Think like different states of matter. So one substance, H2O, can exist as a solid or a liquid or a gas. The same substance, but different states of being. How does Jesus exist in two states? Theologians refer to his humiliation and his exaltation. Jesus' humiliation is the period of time from the virgin's womb to the empty tomb. That's his humiliation. His exaltation is everything else. His existence before the incarnation, his, his glorified body, ascending to the right hand of the Father, that's his exaltation. There are some people who think that Jesus can only minister to me in his humbled state. What I need to hear, what I really need is for Jesus to speak to me audibly with a physical voice. But Jesus speaks to you now. In his state of exaltation, Jesus speaks to you through his word. The word of God, Paul says in Romans chapter 10, is the word of Christ. How does God speak to you today, Christian? Through the pages of Scripture. One pastor says this, if you want to hear God speak to you, read your Bible. And if you want to hear God speak to you out loud, read your Bible out loud. In his exaltation, Jesus is no less powerful to speak to you, Christian, than he was in his humiliation. In his exalted state, Jesus still speaks through his word. So let me ask you, Christian, is your life marked by a faithfulness to hear the scriptures? Who are the main voices that speak into your life, Christian? Where do you get advice on parenting, on finances, on marriage, on conflict? Where are you learning how to think about sex and war and racism? Has the ultimate prophet been replaced by lesser prophets or even worse, by false prophets? 
Are you hearing the word of Christ? If the only Bible intake you get, Christian, during the week is a 45-minute sermon, and let's say you attend 50 weeks a year, means you'll miss two Sundays. That's 37 hours of Bible intake in a year. Do you know the average American spends more time watching television every month? If your only Bible intake, hear me, if your only Bible intake is this sermon 50 times a year, you're getting fed and preached to more by your TV every month than by the Word of God. Don't you think that's going to affect how we think about the world? What about your social media usage? How would it compare get your time in the Word of God? Now, brother, sister, I don't say that to heap guilt upon you, but simply to challenge us. Are we hearing the Word of Christ? With a new year upon us, what new habits should you commit to so that you might grow in your faithfulness to hear the word of Jesus? Let me just suggest two really simple ones. One, you could double your, your Bible intake if the only Bible intake you get is Sunday morning. You could double your Bible intake just by making the commitment to get here an hour earlier for Sunday school. Just by that, you could double your intake in the next year. Second one is to invest in spending personal time in God's word throughout the week. Uh, if you head to the, the announcements wall, there's a little table right underneath the yellow poster there. Uh, you will find some five-day Bible reading programs. This is a way, it's not the only way, but it's a way to challenge yourself to be faithful and have a plan to read God's word in the year ahead. Here's the thing I've noticed about not just Christianity, but just life in general. If we aim for nothing, we tend to hit it every time, don't we? Something about having a plan that helps us. Don't you think if it's worth having a plan for your retirement, if it's worth having a plan, you know, a five-year plan for what you want to do in your career, a plan to graduate, if it's worth making plans about those things, don't you think it's worth making a plan about spiritual things and how you could hear the word of Jesus more faithfully in the year ahead. I would encourage you not just to grab one of these, if that's something that would be helpful for you, but to grab another Christian around you and say, will you do this with me so that we can grow in this together? So if, we, if Jesus really is the ultimate prophet, we should hear the word of Jesus. Number two, and this one might come as, as a surprise, but we should speak the word of Jesus. If Jesus is the ultimate prophet, we should speak the word of Jesus. You say, why do I have to speak the word of Jesus? Because Jesus is the prophet. Let me just let Jesus do the talking. About 800 years before Christ, a prophet named Joel prophesied that one day all of God's people would be like the prophets. Listen to what he said in Joel 2.28. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. After Jesus ascended into heaven, in Acts chapter 2, Peter says, this has been fulfilled. This is happening now in the church as God's spirit enters into the lives of his people. And now we are empowered and equipped to speak God's word. We speak God's word as many prophets pointing to the ultimate prophet, Jesus Christ. Now, here's what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that you, Christian, can tell the future. 
It doesn't mean that you receive a new word from the Lord that contradicts or adds to what God has already said to you in his word. If someone comes up to you and says, God told me, fill in the blank, and they tell you something that they can't back up with a Bible verse, then I would run from that person. God speaks to us primarily through his word. But if we faithfully point people back to that same word, we can faithfully speak the word of God to one another. Uh, Let me suggest three ways we do this and then we'll be done. We do this when we speak the gospel to unbelievers. You remember Romans 10, Paul says, how will they hear without what? Without a preacher. How are unbelievers going to hear the good news unless somebody tells them? If you have received the spirit of Christ, you're a Christian, you have been empowered to speak prophetically to the lost people around you and call them to repent and believe in Jesus. Maybe you say, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a poor speaker. I'm not really good at that sort of thing. I would suggest to you, start with a group of people that doesn't intimidate you. Perhaps start by getting involved in the nursery and sitting down with those little kiddos and say, let me tell you about what Jesus has done. Is that meaningful ministry? Does that matter? Absolutely it matters. And you might grow and learn to flex those muscles to speak the gospel boldly by starting with little ones that don't scare you at all. Maybe you're thinking, those are the ones that do intimidate me. Then pick somebody else. Go to the nursing home. Go somewhere where you can begin to learn how to boldly speak the good news. Maybe you say, well, I just don't know a whole lot. Then say the little that you do know. We've been teaching our kids since they were very, very little. Jesus died on the cross for my sins because he loves me. One sentence, super simple. You can say that, can't you? You don't have to say it my way. You don't have to say it in the exact same language, but Jesus died for me. Or you think of the story in the Gospel of John where a blind man was healed, and he says, the Pharisees are questioning him and asking him all this stuff, and he says, I don't really know a whole lot about who this Jesus is. All I do know is this. I once was blind, but now I see. We took the kids to a living nativity the other night, and there was a little reenactment of a man who was blind, and he says, I once was blind, but now I see. And our daughter Zoe said to us afterwards, why did that guy have glasses on? That's good, fair fair critique. If you ever do a living nativity, have the blind guy not wear glasses. Jesus, you may only know just a little bit. Tell them that. Tell them that. Another way we speak as prophets is when we gather to hear God's word preached. One of the main ways Jesus continues to speak to his people today is through preachers who faithfully proclaim what Jesus has already said to us in his word. You will help us as a church to honor Jesus as the ultimate prophet as you help us to value the preaching ministry of this church. Here's a few ways you can do that, really practically. Read the passage in advance. Um, Most of the time, we're going through a book of the Bible. So, uh, you know the passage we stopped with the week before. Read the passage in advance and ask God to speak to you leading up to the Sunday sermon. 
Another thing, Sunday morning is a Saturday night decision. If you've been to our house on a Saturday, you've seen every Saturday, without fail, all the kids' church bags are lined up by the door. All their shoes, all their socks, all their clothes are picked out. Uh, we, we eat the same thing every Sunday morning. Why? We do the exact same routine every single Sunday. Why? Because it's not easy to get five kids to the building on time. And I can't really be here late. Some of you guys can walk in whenever you want to. I can't do that. So you make the decision on Saturday night so that way I'm going to be here. I'm going to invest in this. This matters. Pray on the way to church. I can't tell you how many times growing up the drive to church was like the biggest fight of the week in our home. We just decided to nip that in the bud and not even allow that to happen by praying the entire drive. Now, we got a long commute. Some of you guys know where we live. That was a joke, by the way. Some of you don't know where we live. It's not far. Um, but we just, we, we don't even have opportunity to fight in the car on the way to church because we're praying in the car on the way to church. Uh, we pray for the music leaders every week. One kid will pray for that. One kid will pray for the preacher. One kid will pray for the Sunday school teachers. One kid will pray for the people that are praying up here. Sometimes we fight about who's going to pray for what, but that's another story. You can show up early so you're not stressed. And just so you know, the doors do open before the service actually starts. I love all of you so much. There, there can be something about getting here, like just in the nick of time. There's stress there, isn't there? For some of, some of you guys, like you love that. You live for that. That's how you get here. But maybe it would help you to say, man, what if I just left a little bit earlier? What if I just did that? Would that help me to arrive here less stressed and ready to hear God speak to me from his word? Listen with your Bible open. Take notes if that sort of thing helps you. If young families around you are struggling with little kids, don't stare at them, offer to help. And don't just honor a specific preacher. Y'all are so sweet and kind to me and to my preaching. But listen, anyone that stands up here and faithfully proclaims the word of God should be honored for that. That should be honored and well-respected. Not because it's me or somebody else, but because it's the word of God. And God speaks to us when his word is rightly preached. And listen, it's okay, and this might sound self-serving, it's okay to encourage a preacher and tell him, here's what God taught me through your sermon. I know a lot of pastors, a lot of pastors. I don't know many who are puffed up on Sunday afternoons. Almost all of us are down. <laughs> There's always things that could have been done better, that we could have said better, more clearly, you're probably not going to puff him up. You're probably going to be the lifeline that keeps him going another week. And gather weekly. And you honor the pulpit ministry when you're just here. Week in and week out, faithfully here. I see your smiling face. I see you listening. Even when I see you nodding off, I'm just happy that you're here. <laughs> One final way that we function as little prophets is when we speak God's word to one another. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. 
Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, with each part working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up, itself up in love. How does a church grow, Christian? It is not grow by filling up a building. It is not grow by events or activities. The church of God grows when God's people speak God's word to one another. That's how we grow. That's how we grow. When you make time to disciple a brother or a sister or to be discipled, you're helping the church to grow. When you take time to speak a word of encouragement to somebody who's sitting by themselves on a Sunday morning and looks down and out and you go to them and sit with them and talk to them and pray with them, you are helping the body grow. When you have the awkward, hard, difficult conversations and you confront a brother or sister about this or that comment or attitude or behavior, you are helping the body grow. That's what we do. Because Jesus is our ultimate prophet. We follow him. The little prophet speaking God's word to one another. At the end of his long night being visited by Jacob Marley and the three spirits, Ebenezer Scrooge was a changed man. He was shown the truth about who he was and the effects that his actions had had on other people. Perhaps it's more accurate to say that Scrooge transformed himself. If you know the story of A Christmas Carol, you, you know that Scrooge needed a prophet to show him who he was, but he was able to be his own priest and king. He rescued himself by, being, by turning over a new leaf and pulling himself up by his bootstraps, and he kept himself by his own commitment to honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. Christian gospel is completely different. The Christian gospel says we need more than a prophet to tell us the truth. We need Jesus to deal with our ignorance problem by telling us the truth as our great and ultimate prophet. But we also need him to deal with our guilt problem as our great high priest who sacrifices himself for the sin of the world. And we need Jesus as our King of kings and Lord of lords to lead his people so that we might follow him faithfully. So let's look to Jesus and Jesus alone as our prophet, priest, and king. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for our Jesus. Help us to trust him more because he is the great prophet. He doesn't just speak the truth. He is the truth. He doesn't just speak your word. He is the word. He doesn't just tell us about God. He is God. And because we are in him, Help us to be like little prophets who prophetically speak the gospel to our unbelieving friends and neighbors, who value the pulpit ministry of the church where we hear God's word proclaimed, and who faithfully and consistently and courageously and gently speak God's word to one another. I pray that you do all these things and more for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Just stand with me as we sing together.